0: I want to talk to you today about something Jesus said, and it's one of the <clears throat> greatest passages of Scripture in the New Testament, one of the most comforting. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read John 14, one through 3, and I want to give you the context of it in a minute, but look at what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Isn't that good? I could just preach on that right there. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would tell you it's not so. I would tell you the truth. But the truth is there's many mansions up there. Because Jesus was a truth teller. Amen? And then he says, I go to prepare a place just for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Those three verses are so loaded with good stuff that I want to just expound on these today and encourage us in the Lord. How many of you are glad that hitherto has the Lord helped us? Amen. Hitherto has the Lord helped us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you that from the word of God comes faith. Faith comes by hearing your word. So Lord, strengthen our faith today. Strengthen our hearts. Strengthen our resolve to move forward, onward, and upward in our walk with you. And to, Lord, keep our soul anchored in the promises of God. Now, Lord, I just thank you for being with your word, that there's power in your word, and it's alive, and it is full of power. Bless it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor he's coming again soon. I know it. <clears throat> Amen. Now, uh, let me just give you a little context for, for these three verses. If you go back to chapter 13, it kind of helps us better understand the relevance and the gravity of chapter 14. <clears throat> because in chapter 13, we've got a few firsts. First of all, in chapter 13, you see Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And he says, as I have done, I want you to do also. I want you to do likewise. So Jesus in chapter 13 is modeling servanthood. All right? As I have done... If I, being the Son of God, can wash your feet, you can wash one another's feet, figuratively speaking, and and sometimes literally serving one another. There's another first in chapter 13, and that is the Lord's Supper. In John's gospel, Jesus initiates the Lord's Supper in chapter 13. And as he's initiating the Lord's Supper, Jesus says several times, something that really bothers and disturbs the disciples. He says, one of you are going to betray me. Not somebody out there. One of you are going to betray me. And they all kind of freaked out over it. And rightly so. Peter said, is it me? John said, is it me? They all said, is it me? Who are you talking about, Lord? Peter kept on going and said, I'll never do it. I'll never leave you, never forsake you, never deny you never run out on you. And that's what happens at the end of chapter 13 is Jesus looking at his top disciple, his top guy. The one who had received the revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He looks at him and says, Peter, no, I know you you mean well, but Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And on the third denial, a rooster is going to crow. So that is a short-term prophecy. Because how can you step hours ahead into time and know when a rooster is going to be there when Peter utters a third denial and that rooster is going to crow? How do you know that unless you're God? Try it sometime. Try predicting what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. You don't know. We could all be raptured. You don't even know what's going you, you don't know what's coming, but Jesus did because he could go short-term and he could go long-term. And that's what he did all over and over again in the Bible. He gave short-term predictions and long-term. So you have uh, really, literally, everything is unraveling in chapter 13. Somebody's going to betray me. One of you. And the Bible says that in the middle of the Lord's Supper, Satan entered the heart of Judas. And he became possessed. And Jesus looked at him in John's gospel and said, what you do, do quickly. And it says, Judas went out into the night to betray Jesus, to set up his betrayal, to go to the religious leaders and sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. That's all Jesus was worth to Judas. So with this backdrop, With Judas gone, Jesus knowing in hours I'm going to be betrayed, tortured, suffer, and die. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, what he starts doing is preparing his disciples how not to fall apart when everything falls apart. So you notice in John 14, and 15 and 16, Jesus repeatedly talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, guys, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. It's to your advantage that I go away because I'm about to be killed. I've told you over and over again, I have predicted to you that they're going to take my life. I'm going to suffer at the hands of men. And I'm going to die, and you're not going to understand it. All of you are going to forsake me. You're going to be blown away. You're, you're, you're going to be uprooted. It's going it's to rock your world, what's about to happen to me. And so he says, let me tell you how to keep it together. Let me give you some of the promises that are coming. I want you to know that it's to your advantage that I go, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come. But if I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And he's going to lead you and he's going to guide you and he's going to direct you and he's going to strengthen you and he's going to comfort you and he's going to be next to you and in you and he's going to be there in my stead. It's to your advantage that I go because you're better off with the Holy Ghost living inside of you. How many of you are so thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, didn't the Holy Spirit of God... Comfort us over and over again during these last three months. How many times did the Holy Ghost say to me, Jeff, it's going to be okay. Relax. I've got everything under control. Even though it looks like the nation is falling apart, you're not. And you're not because I'm not. Because I'm in control of all of life and all of time. So I want you to relax, Jeff. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. Thank God for the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. How precious is his love. Uh, Paul said in Romans that that God pours out his love into our hearts by way of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the love of God that is manifested in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said in John 14 and 15 and 16, he said, I'm going to send him. So that's one way he prepared them for the bottom falling out. He also said to them in John 14, 15 and 16, particularly John 15, he taught dependence on him. Because he said, let me tell you who you are and who you're not, who I am and who I'm not. I'm the vine and you're the branches. And let me teach you daily dependence on me. Because if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you want and it shall be done for you. The key to fruit bearing in the Christian life is is not following a bunch of rules and regulations, but it is abiding in the vine. And as we abide in the vine, we bring forth the fruit that is in the vine. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, and faith. Whatever you're plugged into is the fruit that that you're going to bear. Whatever you're plugged into decides what fruit you're going to bring forth in your life. So if you are plugged into the vine, and the vine is Jesus, you're going to start looking like him, walking like him, talking like him, acting like him, thinking like him. So he taught dependence in John 15, and over and over again in John 14, 15, and 16, he said, I'm going to come again. I want you guys to know that, yes, I'm about to die, and yes, they're going to bury me, and you're not going to understand. But I'm letting you know now that even though they take my life, I'm going to come back from the dead, and I'm going to return to earth once I have ascended to my father. So he tells them these things in John 14, 15, and 16, knowing that in just hours, they're gonna come and take him and Judas is gonna walk up and kiss him with a kiss of betrayal. He's gonna betray him in the worst possible way. And so he said, let me give you in John 14, one, two, and three, three anchors for your soul So that when everything comes apart, you don't. How many of you are glad that when a whole country was coming apart, you didn't? Amen? Amen? I like the old saying, he whose Bible is coming apart probably isn't. Amen? And so Jesus said, I'm going to give you three things. I'm going to give you three anchors uh, so that when, when things like explode like they're about to in a few hours, uh, uh, you're going to remember what I said. So he gave them three anchors. Let me tell you what they are. In John 14, 1 to 3, here's what he gave them. He said, I want you to know where to put your faith. I want you to know where to put your focus. And I want you to know where to put your hope. So I want you to say with me, faith, focus, and hope. Let's start with faith. And this is interesting to me. Because Jesus said, he said, guys, you believe in God. You say you believe in God. Disciples of mine, you were raised believing in Jehovah. God, the God of the Old Testament. You say you believe in God in the same exact way. Believe in me. Now, that's a mouthful. Because what he's saying there is I'm God. In the same way you believe in God... Jehovah, the creator, believe in me, not less than, not sort of like, but fully. I want you to believe in me just like you believe in God. Because you see, Jesus, all through his ministry, wanted us to understand something. He wanted us to understand that he was not just a good guy walking around on earth saying nice things, being good to people. He was not the quintessential nice guy. Are you with me? Jesus never presented himself as just a good religious leader, another scribe or a, another teacher, another, another uh, spiritual leader like the Old Testament spiritual leadership that was everywhere in Jerusalem, the chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. I'm not like them. Jesus clearly communicated that he was God, That God had visited earth in the form of his son. That Jesus is no less than God. He's God the son. We have God the father. We have God the son. And we have God the holy spirit. And there are three distinct personalities that also comprise one God. The Lord thy God is one God. Yet he is in three personalities. Three persons comprise the one God. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't. I just know that it's true. I don't know how when I turn a key it starts my car, much less understand the Godhead. But I'm telling you, Jesus wanted us to know that he's God the Son. Uh, Pilate's talking to him, and Pilate says to him, Don't you know that I can take your I have the power to take your life? And Jesus said, no, 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 you got it wrong, Pilate. You have no power against me at all, but what is given you of my father. And then Pilate said to him, are you a king like they're telling me you were saying? Can you tell me what they're telling me you have already said? And Jesus said, you say rightly, I am a king. Pilate looked around him and said, well, what country are you the king of? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. It is of a world to come. But if you want to know whether or not I'm a king, oh, yes, you said it right, Pilate. I'm a king. And Jesus did not deny it. Well, what is he the king of? He's the king of the kingdom of God. And he's going to be the king over all the earth, ruling in righteousness. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. One day, he's in a debate with the Pharisees. They hated him. They were jealous of him, envious of him. And Jesus said to them something that that just enraged them. They were seeing red after he said this. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I am was a clear title. God gave himself himself. In the Old Testament, and the Pharisees knew exactly what he was saying. He was claiming to be God right then and there. Because when Moses was at the burning bush, it says that God spoke to him out of that bush and called him to go down into Egypt. And Moses said, but but, but I can't can't talk talk good. Who, who, Who will I tell them has sent me? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. Tell them that I am Has sent me to you. Tell them I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am sent you. See, when you're I am, that means you're inhabiting the past, you're inhabiting the present, and you're inhabiting the future. That's why Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I was there. I was there. And he was telling them, I am the I am that sent Moses into Egypt. And they said, now we know that you have blasphemed God because you're claiming to be God. And Jesus didn't say, no, 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 wait a minute, guys. I didn't mean that. No, he completely received it because that's exactly what he meant to say. Jesus Christ was and is God the son. When the chief priests and the elders asked him, are you the son of God? Just go ahead and tell us. Are you the son of God? Jesus said, you rightly say that I am. You're right. And hereafter, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of the power of God. So I want you to notice, Jesus never denied being God. When people worshipped him, he never stopped them from worshipping him. So he does not leave us with the option of saying, Oh yeah, Jesus was just a great religious leader. He's right up there with Muhammad and Confucius and Buddha and all other religious leaders. He's right up there with them. No. Jesus said, I, I'm nowhere with them. I am the unique, only begotten Son of God. When I was born, God visited the world wrapped in skin. And I grew up among you and I watched you hurt and I felt your pain and I taught you how to live. And then I laid down my life. Nobody took it from me, but I laid down my life of my own volition and, 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 They they killed him. He went into the grave and then he came up out of that grave on the third morning, resurrected from the dead and ascended back to the Father. Nobody does that but God. (laughs) So the first anchor that protects us from having a troubled heart in troubled times is putting your faith in him. He said, put your faith in me, guys. When everything hits the fan, don't forget, put your faith in me. Look to me just like you did God, because I am God. Amen. So can we say together, Jesus was and is and always will be God. That's the first anchor. And I look to him during this time, believe me, I look to Jesus. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my guide. He's my healer. He's my peace. He's my counselor. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father, and he's the prince of peace. Amen. Now, the second anchor that Jesus gave is where you place your focus. I want you to notice what he said. He turned their eyes from what was around them to what was coming in heaven. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but i go to prepare a place for you. Now notice, he's saying, guys, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, trouble, and sorrow, and upheaval, and sickness, and disease, and bloodshed, and pain. But I want you to turn your eyes from what is around you to what is coming to you. I want you to turn your eyes off of where you are to where you're going. You know, sometimes it just helps to turn your eyes upon Jesus. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus. Say it with me, everybody. Looking unto Jesus. Come on, I had about five of you there. Looking unto Jesus. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. And faithful is he who calls you, who also will do it. And he that has begun a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. He began our faith and he's going to continue our faith and he's going to mature and perfect our faith. He turns their attention to the father's house. And what does he say about the father's house? He's saying, I'm gonna go back where I came from. And when I get there, Here's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to prepare a place. Now, the Greek language here, it's very important. The Greek language here is particular. It's individual. He says, I'm going to prepare a place just for you. With you singularly in mind. In other words, an individual place custom designed for you. I'm going to prepare a place just for you, with you in mind. Now, I've seen some great interior decorating in my life. I can't imagine what it looks like when Jesus had been the interior decorator. But but, but this is what it's saying. The word that John uses in the Greek language means a secure place of your own. Can I put it another way? He's not going to heaven to build condos and apartments. No, no, it's going to be a place, an individual place just for you, for every one of his children, an individual place. I go to prepare a place just for you. Here comes Jeff. Here comes Robert. And and here's the idea. The idea is that you're going to be greeted individually when you get to heaven and escorted to your place. I mean, I'm just reading the Bible. I go to prepare a place. For who? For everybody? For you. He said you. He used the personal pronoun, you. I go to prepare a place just for you. Can you imagine what that's going to be like when we either die or get raptured, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, and, and hear Jesus and the angels greeting us in glory and taking us to a place that the carpenter from Nazareth has built just for us? what it will be like. I mean, it won't need AC units. It won't need a fireplace. It won't need running water. Listen, it won't need, it's going to be, it's going to exude the glory of the presence of God. And God is in the heart of that place. And we will see Jesus in that place. And he said that where I am, there you may be also. So we know there's going to be a place, and we know we're going to be with Him because He said, I'm going to take you where I am, that where I am, you may be with me forever also. That's heaven. You know what's going to make heaven heaven? Jesus. We don't need a sun in the sky because the glory of God coming off the face of Jesus will lighten that place. There is a river of life running through that place. The streets are made of gold so pure that it looks like transparent glass in that place. Angels singing, the redeemed worshiping, Jesus in that place. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage I'm going because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit to you. And while the Holy Spirit is moving and keeping you strong and healthy and guiding you, I'm gonna be in heaven preparing a place. Just for you. And then he said, I'm going to come again. I'm going to come again. The Apostle Paul said, when, when you're walking with Jesus on this earth, here's how we're to do it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart. And then he said, secondly, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. So, so our, the affections of our heart and the thoughts of our mind are to be on heavenly things, not earthly things. John said, don't love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but they are from the world. And the world passes away and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. We're not to love this world. We're to love the world that is to come. We're to love the things of God. We're to love his word, love his presence, love his name. And we're to have our hearts and our minds turn towards that place and the king of that place. Set the affections of your heart and the thoughts of your mind. That's why I get up in the morning and I get into the word of God. Immediately, I open up the Word because that's how, I, that's how I get my mind on the things of heaven. Immediately, I go to the Word of God uh, because the Word of God is one of the heavenly things we're to love. Read Psalms 119, the longest chapter in the whole Bible. The psalmist, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, managed to praise the Word of God over and over again, differently, from a different angle, in all those verses... The Holy Spirit gave him the ability to praise the word of God, to lift up the word of God, to describe the word of God in a different way with all those different verses. The word of the Lord is sweeter than honey on the honeycomb. And when we get up and we get our mind on the word of God, it it, it, it sort of sets the direction. Notice he said, set your mind, set your heart. The way I set my mind and set my heart is I do it first. Amen? Yeah, we know how to set a GPS. We just, I'm going to this address. Hey, set the GPS of your soul every morning. I'm going to that address one day. This world is not my home. One day there's going to be a shout. And let me move to that right now. Everybody say with me the first anchor for a peaceful heart is your faith, the second anchor is your focus. Is your faith in Jesus and is your focus on the things of God daily? Let it be. And he gives one more. He said, the third anchor is where I want you to put your hope. He said, I will come again. I will come again. Now, do you know that more and more churches are no longer preaching the return of Christ? I've read about this. I didn't believe it until I saw polls having been taken from uh, different denominations and whatnot. They don't go there anymore. They don't talk about the return of Christ. But let me tell you something. The Bible calls the return of Christ the blessed hope. And we are never to give up hope in the return of Christ. As long as you are in this church, I promise you, you will regularly hear about the return of Christ because I know that Jesus is going to come back. Did did you know that of all the prophecies regarding Jesus, there were prophecies of two comings. His first coming as the baby born in Bethlehem, and the second coming of his returning to the earth. And did you know that every prophecy that had to do with the first coming of Jesus as the baby in Bethlehem came to pass flawlessly, perfectly, irrefutably, accurately? And did you know that there's more prophecies about his second coming than there were the first And so if every prophecy, he'd be born in Bethlehem, all all the prophecies that had to do with the first arrival of Jesus, that so accurately fulfilled, so uncannily fulfilled, so perfectly fulfilled, but there's less of those than of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So if they all happen perfectly, then doesn't that tell us that the second coming of Jesus will be fulfilled just as perfectly. Jesus said, I will come again. And the reason I'm coming again is to receive you to myself. Now that's a rapture verse. There's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. Follow me closely and I won't take long. The rapture happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and Jesus comes in the clouds and we are called off this earth into his presence. I'm going to read about that in a moment, but in the second coming He comes all the way to earth, and he lands on the Mount of Olives. In the rapture, he doesn't come to earth at all. In the rapture, he comes to get his bride. In the second coming, he comes to bring judgment on the world. In the rapture, the church sees him and nobody else. But in the second coming, every eye shall see him, and even those who pierced him. There is a difference between the rapture and the second coming. And Jesus here is giving us a rapture verse. He said, I'm going to come again. Why? To receive you to myself. Who? The bride of Christ. Amen. And the Bible calls that the blessed hope. Looking for Titus 2.13, Paul wrote to Titus and he said, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God. Notice what he called Jesus. Jesus. God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus promised his disciples repeatedly that he was going to return to this earth and take them to his glorious home in heaven. In chapter 14, just a few verses after, verses 1 through 3 and verse 27, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He said the same thing again. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why, Jesus? Why should we not be troubled and afraid? He says... You have heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. In chapter 16, verse 16, he says again, a little while and you will not see me. I'm going to be crucified and killed. But again, a little while and you will see me again. In verse 22, in the same chapter, he says, therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice, and your joy nobody's going to take away from you when I come again. Come on, everybody. This is in the word of God. Now, God raises up Paul the apostle, and he moves on Paul the apostle to expand on the return of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. And Paul said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. That you may not grieve as others who don't have any hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. That's his phrase for have died in Christ. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Paul wants us to understand. This isn't my idea. Nobody told me this. This is a word from From the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend. Now, the book of Acts, we see him ascending and going back into heaven. But here Paul says, He's going to descend. From where? From heaven. With what? A cry of command. Oh, that command. What will that command be? Lazarus, come forth. All right? And Lazarus came out of a grave, dead four days and nights. What will it be for us? Church, come forth. Amen. Now, a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Oh, catch that everybody. Cemeteries all over the world are going to be emptied out. Cemeteries all over the world are going to have people coming out of them in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the trumpet. Those who have died in Christ are coming out. And... It says, then we, you, me, if it happened right now, we, ye, who are alive, taking the kids to school, walking through Kroger, waiting for a Whopper at Burger King in the drive-thru, on a flight, going somewhere. We who are left, We'll be caught up, caught up. Everybody say caught up. That's the Greek word, harpazo. And it means to be removed by force, to be snatched away by force in in an instant. We will be removed by force, a good force, God's force, God's power. Caught up, not down, up. We're not going down, we're going up. And look what it says, together with them. That tells me that when, you, when somebody that you know dies in Christ, uh, it, it, and you're a Christian as well, it's never a permanent goodbye. It's only temporary. Because the Bible here tells us that first, those who have died in Christ are coming out of the grave. And then, then secondly, we who remain will be caught up together, and it says with them. With who? with those who have already died in Christ. And there will be a reunion in the sky. It won't be the same. You won't be married anymore. There's no marriage in heaven. It it won't be the same kind of relationship, but you will see people that you know. You will see people who have died, grandma, grandpa, dad, mom, children. They'll be caught up together and we will be with them in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. Now, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So I want to encourage you today. There, a, there is a powerful moment coming in the will of God. Only God knows the time, the day, the hour. He Only God knows. But a trumpet's going to blow. And Jesus is going to shout. And the archangel is going to shout as well. And at that very moment, in a moment's time, we're going to be caught up, harpazo, snatched away. And suddenly, we're going to be one place and then somewhere else immediately. We're going to be here and then here no longer. And where will we be? We will be in the clouds. You remember Philip was in a revival. And Philip uh, was in the middle of a red-hot revival. God was moving all over Samaria. It was a city-wide, I mean, God was saving everybody just about. Holy Ghost said to Philip, Philip, leave and go walking in the desert. I'm going to show you what to do. so Philip obeyed the Holy Spirit and he left the revival of a lifetime and he began to walk in the desert. And as he's walking in the desert, he sees a chariot up ahead. It's a nice chariot. It's a Mercedes chariot. Might've even been a Rolls Royce chariot because inside was an Ethiopian eunuch, a black man. What we're about to see is how God took the gospel to Africa. He did it right here through. Philip and, and, and when Philip sees this Mercedes chariot, the Holy Spirit said to him, join yourself to that chariot. So Philip walks up uninvited and he starts walking alongside this chariot and inside is this Ethiopian eunuch, a black man with high authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And he hears this eunuch reading Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he says, Do you understand what you're reading? He said, No, I wish somebody would explain it to me. So Philip said, Well, you're talking to the right guy, because who you're reading about is Jesus, and he was just crucified, and he's risen from the dead. He's your savior. He died for your sins. And this Ethiopian eunuch received Christ in that chariot. And then said, What is preventing me from being baptized? Philip said, if you're sure you believe, then nothing. Let's go. They go down into the water, and the Bible says, Philip, put him down in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. I baptize you. Buried with him by baptism into his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. When he brought his head up out of the water and the baptism was done, the hands that had held this man disappeared. He looks around, Philip is gone. He's in the water alone. Where'd he go? Is he under the water? Is he going for a swim? Did did, did I, you know, was I down there longer than I thought? No, because the Bible says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched, Harpazo snatched Philip away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but one on his way rejoicing. And the Bible says, I love this, but Philip appeared in a city called Azotus. He was, he was in the water, and then he appeared in another city. Bang. That's the rapture. That's what it will be like. He didn't float from the water to Azotus. Uh-uh. He was in the water. Bang. He's in Azotus, and he hits the ground preaching. How did God do that? The same way he's going to rapture you and me out of the grave. I want you to stand with me. Amen. In the word of God good? Amen. So just like Philip was taken away, the day will come when suddenly you will not be here. <laughs> I hear some of you saying, man, I better get right with God. True. Because you won't be here. Where will you be? You will appear, not in azotus, but in the clouds. And you'll be looking right at Jesus. So say with me, Keep grounded in troubled times. Place your faith in him as God. Your focus on what's coming and your hope in the Lord's return. My dream is that I'll be preaching to you and I'll be on a stem winder. You know what that is? That's when you're really preaching. And I'll be doing something like this and bang, Jesus. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love it. But it could very well happen. See, there's not one prophecy that needs to be fulfilled for the rapture to happen. Second coming, there's several that need to be fulfilled. But not the rapture. He could come on your way home. Amen? Amen? Do you believe that? Let's lift our hands to the Lord.